0: Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy and I am your host. And today we are going to talk about, of course, the CPI report that came out today. Before we do, I just want to say a quick word about the midterm elections and the importance of, of what happened. Um, I think that obviously going into the election there was much concern or elation depending on which side you were on uh, about the potential for a red wave that the republicans would uh, manage to get a substantial controlling majority in the house and or also in the senate and which would lead to divided government which in- investors love because When politicians agree on stuff, it almost always costs us money, (laughs) and uh, and so when they don't agree uh, and nothing actually happens, then that ends up being good for investors, generally speaking. Um, At this point, as I'm as I'm recording this, um, the all of the results are still not in, which, by the way, is just uh, uh, truly a tragedy that in. In a world with, with uh, this much technological acumen, we can't get accurate vote counts within within a couple of days from from all reporting precincts. But whatever, Um, at this point, it looks like at best, the Republicans will have a couple of a seat, couple seat majority in the House, and at best, we'll have a one seat majority in the uh, in the Senate. um, but they also might have a one-seat deficit in the Senate or be tied. To really know the answer to that, it's probably going to take another month or so and, and a couple of runoffs. But um, anyway, you slice it, it isn't a red wave. And um, but a lot of investors are are pleased because if it ends up that that the Republicans at least take the House, then we have quote unquote divided government. I think this is this is. A misunderstanding of how this process actually works in practice. If a party has a substantial advantage and votes more or less as a unit, you know, the party all you know, votes 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 together, then they really that then they really can block the other party. However, when you have a very close majority, and again, that's the best that that the Republicans are going to have is a handful of seats. Then, whether or not you can block legislation from the other side comes down to two things. And 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 I, there's obviously a lot more nuance here. Control of, of the committee process and things like that all matter. But um, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, if legislation from the other party makes it onto onto the floor and gets gets voted on. Um, you need two things if you want to block. One is you have to be able to whip your own party's votes very efficiently. And the Republicans have been notoriously bad at getting all of its members to line up in one direction and vote in opposition. Um, and the other thing is that if you only have a one or two seat majority, it, it you know, it turns out that it. Gets very easy to peel off votes by, particularly for large um, fiscal packages, by just promising a little bit of pork. If I have to peel off ten members, then that's just untenable. I've got a you know trillion dollar uh, fiscal package. Um, how much do I have to put in there in pork to to peel off ten members? And 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 it's quite a bit. But if I have to peel off one or two members, then putting an extra bridge here and an extra uh, you know, municipal building over there that the government pays for um, and that, that the representative can go home and say, look, look what I got for you guys. Um, that turns out to be not that hard. And so practically speaking, the Republicans with a small majority can probably stop small legislation pretty easily. Um And so sort of the piecemeal approach and the passing of smaller bills, which is what the Democrats had been doing in the last Congress, will probably change and probably it makes more sense to pass, to try to pass large bills where there's a lot of room for pork and you can pick off those three or four people to vote the other way. Um, Again, it'll end up depending on how big the majority is for the Republicans, assuming that it is a majority, but... um, but I actually think that the fact that this is a, a divided, a, a very closely divided government is actually very bad for inflation. We're likely to see much more deficit spending than you would think when the Republicans, quote unquote, have control of the Congress. Um, and, and by the way, that, that is entirely consistent with the messaging from the Democrats prior to the election, which was, hey, you know, we spent all this money, but that isn't what caused inflation. Putin caused inflation, the war in Ukraine caused inflation. Profiteering companies uh like the oil companies uh, and the banks with their hidden fees, you know, they caused inflation but it really had nothing to do with us. And and evidently the populace bought that story. <laughs> and so if that is, in fact, your view, and if you, in fact, do believe that, or at least that's the story you're telling, then there's absolutely no reason. If you don't think you had anything to do with this inflation, if you really do think it's a supply chain thing, then there's absolutely no reason to not go spend a trillion or two um, if you believe in the modern monetary theory baloney. Um, and and especially as the economy starts to slow, you know, already we're seeing it in housing, um, you know, we're starting to see layoffs in some quarters, you know, by 2023, we're going to be in a, in a legitimate recession. And I would expect to see many trillions in, uh, additional stimulus spending. So that has nothing to do with today's report. That's just the backdrop. That's something to sort of keep in mind going forward. Um, and it is, uh, it is very sad. Um, the other thing that is important to know going into today's figure, um, well, you know, I'll talk about that when we actually get to that part of the figure. So so the report today was light. Uh, CPI was expected to be about 0.6 and 0.5 on the core. Um, and in fact, it came in at 0.44 on the headline number and 0.27 on the core. So that's quite a bit lighter. Um, in fact, that was the lowest core Inflation number in in over a year, um, and considerably off of the recent highs. However, it's not really as good as all that. Uh, rents were still quite high. Rents were a little, weren't quite as egregious as they have been in recent months, but they were still quite a bit high. And there's no sign yet that rents have peaked. Um, we saw a lot of upward pressure still from food and beverages, including food away from home and recreation, other goods and services. Um, uh, but where we saw declines is, is what's sort of interesting. So it, it ended up being a fairly concentrated couple of things that caused this, this surprise on the downside. Um, one of them was that apparel, fell 0.7% month on month. Now, apparel is in core goods, and the, the sort of expected effect, we've already seen core goods start to decelerate for some time, um, and, and so that's not very surprising. The dollar has been strong for quite a while, and, and the, the lagged effect of a very strong dollar is that you get lower goods prices. Also, there is has been, you know, a decline in some, uh, uh, you know, container costs, shipping costs, transportation costs, all of which tend to lower the cost of goods, and and some of the supply chain things um, have started to to uh, loosen up a little bit. So we have, for example, new car prices continue to accelerate, used car prices dropped more than new car prices accelerated, um, because. Back in sort of the teeth of the pandemic, um, new cars were not being manufactured very quickly. And so the only thing you could do with your stimmy check was to go buy used cars. And so that pushed the price of used cars up way, 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 way high, in some cases higher than new cars. And so we're we're seeing a correction of that where new cars inflation continues to accelerate, but used car prices prices come down. And and net net a little bit of a drag on core goods. So so the core goods was sort of a drag. Again, we sort of knew that was going to happen. Um, and uh, but the other thing is, so I I said last month, and I've I've said this now I think a couple of months. One of my big, one of the big things I've been focusing on has been core services x rents. If you get rents generally right then you're going to be it's going to be hard to be very wrong on on overall core inflation. And in fact, given where rents are, we're not going to have 2% inflation in 2023. It's just it's just it would it would require some just crazy movements in other things to get core inflation down to 2% because because rent inflation is going to to you know continue to tick along at 5, 6 or 7% and that's forty percent of the basket. You're just not going to get overall core inflation down to two. So that's rents, services. X rents is all of the all of the things where wages are a main input. And so you know things like food away from home, lodging away from home, medical care, things like that. You know that those all fall into. Well, actually, food away from home falls into food, but you get the point. Um, the all of those things, where higher wages feed back into prices, core services, those things have n- are now accelerating, have are now rising f- much faster than core goods. Core goods inflation is coming down. Core services is going up, not just rents, but core services ex rents as well. So, but one thing that happened this month, and I have to give credit where credit is due, there were um, there were some some people some economists who had highlighted this as a potential issue it's going to take a little bit of explaining so uh, so so bear with me uh, a little bit it has to do with uh, with health insurance so health insurance in the CPI does not actually measure the cost to the consumer of health insurance which seems odd <laughs> but but here's the problem so um, what in the CPI, we're trying to measure the cost to consumer of health care, but the consumer does not, in the United States, does not directly pay for all of their health care or indeed very much of it. The way that consumers pay for most of their health care is they pay for insurance and the insurance company then goes in and pays the doctor when, when care is provided or after care is provided. So, so in the CPI, you have things like doctor services and, and uh, hospital services. And, um, and some of that obviously is paid by the consumer, but a lot of it is paid by the insurance company. And so it, when you're going and gathering these prices, you can call the doctors and you can say, OK, for this list of procedures, you know, what happened to prices? And in doing that, you're picking up both what the consumer paid directly to doctors and what insurance company paid to the doctors. But there's still a leak there, right? Because the consumer paid the insurance company, the insurance company paid the doctor, but the insurance company didn't pay everything to the doctor. They kept some, that's known as profit, but it's a cost to the consumer. And so the BLS has to go and try to figure out what this profit margin looks like. And that's what becomes the health insurance part of CPI. Um, And it's only about 0.8% of the overall CPI, which obviously is much, much smaller than the amount we actually paid insurance companies. So the whole category is just really, really screwed up. But the important thing to understand is that hospital services, uh, physician services, health insurance, all of those combine to equal what happens to medical care over time. So Roughly once a year, the BLS goes out and and assesses what is going on with insurance company profit margins, and they make this adjustment to to healthcare, uh, to the health insurance uh, subitem, and and that basically every year, uh, for every every month for a year, you kind of have that that same effect. Well, going into this figure, some people who who had spent a lot of time really getting under the hood, um, and, and I don't, and I'll ex- I guess I'll explain why in a second, but um, had said, look, this is going to be a 4% per month drag. Health insurance, the estimate of health insurance margins is going to go way down, and it's going to be a massive, massive drag. Now, again, it's just 0.8% of the overall CPI, but 4% on that small of a category is it, still you know not, not nothing, it would be roughly, you know, three-tenths uh, of, uh, of overall inflation over the course of a year or, you know, 0. 0.45 or something like that. Um, so, you know, almost a half a percent off of core inflation over the course of a full year. If, this is a really important if, if that correction uh, was not reflected in anything else. That is, if this was just simply a, a a major change in in profit margins and not a change in an estimate in profit margins that gets counterbalanced elsewhere, which is to say, if the overall cost was up five percent in a year for medical care, I can call that four percent coming from medical care from doctors and one percent coming from. profits of insurers, or I can say the profits of insurers was really zero and it was 5% paid to doctors. Doesn't really matter. That adds up to 5%. And so to some extent, this is really just bean counting. Which category do we have to put this in? The real question is, hey, is medical care inflation going up or is it going down? And, And my personal view is that it would be really, really weird if at the end of this big pandemic, uh, medical care inflation was going to go down rather than up. Possible, uh, but Medicare just declared that they're going to be reimbursing doctors less going forward, and that tends to increase, put upward pressure on consumer medical care inflation because doctors have to make it up somewhere, so they'll they'll you know, charge insurance companies rather than Medicare. So um, anyway, but it was a big issue, and, and it did come in like that minus 4% on medical care. So, again, that shows up a little bit in core services ex-rents, less rent of shelter, and yet core services less rent of shelter went all the way down to 6.42% year on year. So it was a very, very small correction. Again, it's a tiny weight, um, but when you kind of put that in there, um, along with apparel and some of the other core goods stuff we ended up with a number that was quite a bit lower on core not quite a bit lower a little bit lower on core than investors were expecting um, and so and so what does that what does that do to the markets what does that do to investors well it got them very excited because if in fact you think that this means core inflation is now going to go up at just you know 0.25 percent a year a month, um, that's what it used to do. So yay, inflation is over. The Fed can stop tightening and and everything is good again. Um, let's pump the brakes on that. That's very unlikely to be what happens. Um, we are likely next month to be back at a 0.5% month on month. And so let's just pump the brakes a little bit. That being said, I think that what the the, the story that the federal reserve is trying to tell itself is that, Hey, we've tightened enough. We think that inflation is peaking. Um, and in fact, inflation is peaking. Even median inflation is going to peak in the next month or two. Um, but we think inflation is peaking. So let's, let's, you know, tighten a little bit more and then we'll just like step aside and we'll just wait and see what happens. And so that's what they're going to do is they're going to tighten 50 basis points at the next meeting, probably 25 after that, and then they'll probably be done for a while. The market believes that shortly after that, because we'll be in a recession, they'll start easing aggressively. I don't think that they will. I think that we will get rates to 5% and then they're going to do their best to sort of hang on there at 5%. Uh, for a while, unless markets get really, really illiquid or some other really bad thing happens and they have to actually go and, you know, banks start to fail or something crazy like that. There's no real sign of that at this point. I don't think they'll respond to a higher unemployment rate by aggressively cutting rates. Um, But, um, you know, that's obviously all that is an issue for next year. Um, For now, markets are super excited that they, that, we can see the end of every of of the Fed tightening. That means the dollar is on its butt today because if if the central bank of the United States is no longer the most aggressive central bank, then I uh, mean some other central bank is going to be, which means that their currency will do well. Uh, whatever, I'm not an FX guy. Um, but uh, lots of big moves today. I suspect that. Over the next couple of days, we'll see Federal Reserve speakers mm, tell people to, to pump the brakes a little bit, and uh, and so I think we'll probably retrace this thousand-point rally in stocks, and interest rates will probably, you know, longer-term interest rates will probably go back up and a little bit, and you know, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about this. So long story short, was this number was certainly better than expected, but. The, the big parts of it are still doing all the wrong things. Um, they're going to peak soon, and, and those numbers will come down, but they're not going to come down nearly as fast as economists are forecasting, and it's not going to come down nearly as fast as today's number would suggest if you project today's number for 12, for 11 more months. Um, so that's, that's where we are. Let's, let's, uh, let's hold our horses just a little bit. Um, and that's all for today's podcast. That's all I have to say about the number. You can contact me at at enduringinvestments.com. Follow the blog, inflationguy.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy or visit enduringinvestments.com to find out what we do, both as investors and as consultants. And most importantly, never forget, even when things are looking like they're a little bit better, you should still defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.